House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. John Copenhaver, how are you doing? I am doing fabulously. <laughs> it is 70 degrees and like summer here in Richmond, Virginia. Um, and uh, apparently that's not the case in the rest of the world. But things are good here. Yeah, it's pretty cold in the West, but maybe that'll come over your way. Yeah, you know, honestly, I like winter, so I think it's a little bit bizarre. But, you know, I also don't want to complain about bad weather because, you know, why I do that. But, um yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think I think winter's a good thing. I, I get more writing done, and it's darker. I like the dark. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you do, Al. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a different story. That's a different story. Well, okay, so let's get right into this today. So to finish off the week, we have a writer, and his newest book is called "The Adventure of the Castle Thief and Other Expeditions and Indiscretions." So, Mr. Art Taylor, thank you for being here. Oh, thanks so much for having me. And I'll echo John. I'm in Fairfax, Virginia, and uh, we are, you know, uh, 77 degrees when I checked uh, just a little bit ago. So we're, we're, I'm, I'm appreciating the warm weather, a little blast of warm weather. Well, enjoy it. It could end quick. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And I was, I was looking at the forecast, and apparently we, we could get a sprinkling of snow in less than 48 hours. So, you know, it, 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 enjoy what comes your way, no matter what. Right. <laughs> yeah, because uh, we're sending that cold blast over to you. How's that? You can have it. Yep, and thank you on that. Yeah, thank you on that one, too. Yeah. <laughs> so you're talking about um, the Castle Thief and other expeditions and, and indiscretions. Is this a book about John? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Inspired by, of course, you know, as all my fiction is, uh, John and I, I don't know if you know this, Al, but John and I went to grad school together, uh, and uh, he was a year ahead of me at George Mason University, which is where I teach now, but our, our two years, our two uh, uh, writing cohorts, his year and my year, used to have a bowling, uh, kind of bowling tournaments at times, and it was, uh, it was you know, a friendly rivalry, uh, and that has continued as each of our groups have gotten published in, in different ways. So it's been great to watch John's success and other folks in the group, including my wife, Tara Laskowski, and then to watch you know, some of my cohort uh, get published as well. So we, we, John and I go back a long way and have read and admired each other's work. I, I say admired. I hope he's admired mine in turn you know, uh, ever since our grad school days. Yeah, in fact, it's so funny. The first story in this collection, Art, wasn't this something you workshopped? Um, the Miss Marple and the Hit and Run. I feel like I feel like that came across a workshop table at some point. Is that a fairly old story, or am I just totally imagining things? It is. You know, this is my second collection with Crippen and Landry, which is a, a, a very distinguished publisher of short mystery fiction. Um, my first collection was The Boy Detective and The Summer of 74 and Other Tales of Suspense, and that collection gathered... Um, some of the I've been very fortunate to have, have won uh, several awards um, in the mystery community, and that one gathered a lot of kind of the greatest hits. Um, this collection, The Adventure of the Castle Thief, is a little different. Um, I won't call it a B-side collection. It does have two new stories in it, um, the title story for one, and then a second one, Everyone Talks About the Weather. 
Um, but a lot of it is uh, is stories that were published in some smaller magazines or online. And so it, both collections cover a fair amount of time. Uh, and this one does reach back, uh, you know, to some of those, you know, grad school days. Um, so, yes, you're you're correct, John. It was great. It was like sort of it felt like, you know, a little bit of like getting returning to the past. And I don't know, it felt like full circle uh, stuff happening. So, um I mean, I'd be really interested, like, talk to us a little bit about, uh, you know, I knew you uh, back then as a short story writer, and short stories have been sort of your passion, and you're, you are very good at them. Um, uh, you know, Al, he's being a little modest, I think he's basically won every award for a short story. Oh, well, at least there are many of crime writing awards, but uh, Art has won most of them for his short story writing. And, like, why the short story? Like, where, why do you think you gravitate to that? You know, it's a good question. Um, I, I admire folks uh, like you, uh, like my wife, Tara Laskowski, as I mentioned, who are, are really excelling at the novel. And, um, and I have struggled at novel length at times, but the short story seems to come naturally to me. Part of that goes back not only to grad school, but even further back, you know, to reading short stories as a teenager. I subscribed to Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine way back when, in like, I guess it was late elementary school, early middle school when the school had one of these, you know, sell subscriptions door to door to help raise money for the school. And I don't know that I sold any except maybe to my mom, but I did subscribe to Ellery Queens myself. And some of that reading was very formative at the time. Um, not that I wasn't reading mystery novels too, but being able to read, you know, Ed Hoke particularly um, or Patricia Highsmith, um, you know, in those days or, I mean, we could go through, you know, a, a number of folks that I read, and, and that kind of stuck with me. And then, of course, as we think about what we're doing in grad school, to fast forward ahead, not a lot of people are bringing in novels to workshop. They're bringing in short stories as if, you know, that's something we can deal with in its entirety, talk about the full narrative art. Um, and, and so I, I just kind of gravitate toward that. Another thing is I can think about that like a full short story in my head, walking back and forth to campus, um, driving around, let it percolate a little bit, um, and, and then sit down and write it. Uh, so, so it just, just comes a little more naturally to me, both as a, as a reader, what I enjoy, and then as a writer, what works well with my process. Art Taylor is our present-day Edgar Allan Poe. Oh. <laughs> so yes. so when, when someone says something like that, of course it's, it's, it's flattering, and, but at the same time it can be kind of, you know, uh, make put the pressure on you and stuff. But do you do you consider your writing in that sort of vein of writing of Edgar Allan Poe? You know, and that's uh, Naomi Hirahara. I'm I'm, I'm very grateful uh, to uh, her for that uh, that 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 comparison, that quote, that blurb. Um, and when I got it, I, I was like, "Wow, that is that's a big comparison." Um, and it's also a uh, an interesting one with with this collection in particular. Um, Another of the things about some of the stories that are in the Adventure of the Castle Thief is they are darker. Um, if if uh, if my writing generally spans a, a, a spectrum from light to dark, and actually stories light and dark was the original subtitle for this new collection, um, some of the stories in there go go to some dark places. And so I think there's um, whether whether the comparison in terms of, of quality or whatever is to Edgar Allan Poe, there are some stories in here. Um, that 
that are psychologically dark, even edging toward horror, perhaps. And so I think that there's something apt about that, about that comparison in terms of tone and subject matter. Now, honestly, that's one of the odd things about the collection. And one of the things that I've, have, to be honest, fretted about a little bit, um, the title story is a traditional mystery. It's, it's, uh, light and fun, and I, I think that it will appeal to folks from, to go back to what John and I were talking about, from the Malice domestic uh, community, you know, celebrating the traditional mystery a little on the lighter side. I think some of the stories in here um, might surprise some of those same readers um, because it, 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 it does go to some fairly dark places. And so that's something about a, about a collection uh, that, that, that I, I do think about. How does it hold together as a collection um, and where are, you know, where are there stories that some some readers might not appreciate as well as others? Different readers, different things. Where do you find the darkness when you're writing that, those? Where you say well, you go into pretty dark places, and um, and there's light at the same time. So where do, where does that come from? Like how how do you dig into your own mind, and where do you dig to get these kind of stories? Um, you know, that's a a, a a good question, but I think it's got a couple of layers to it. Um, one, I'm going to come back to reading. I know that there are some readers that read fairly specifically in certain subgenres, and that's at both ends. There are readers of noir fiction or domestic suspense who are not going to want to read a cozy mystery, um, and I use that term affectionately. Um, and there are folks who are reading cozy mysteries, traditional mysteries, who are going to look askance at something noir. I read across a very wide genre, uh, excuse me, very wide range of subgenres, and um, and so I, I appreciate those. And when I find myself sitting down to write a story, sometimes I'm drawn in one direction and sometimes in another. Uh, Ed Amar, who's another friend of ours, uh, has asked me one time about branding. He's like, well, do you ever think about branding? And I'm like, well, no, which was stupid of me because maybe I should. But um, but I, I do like I do like to read across a wide range and write across a wide range. Now, that doesn't answer the question that you specifically asked, which was about where does it come from internally? Um, you know, uh, gosh, that would be some territory that, that maybe we – is this therapy? Are we charging for this? I don't know where we're – Well, yeah, because uh, – well, next we wanted to find out if, if Tara was still alive. Yes, yeah, she is. She is. Uh, I heard her cross, you know, and, and outside of the, the, the closed door here. You know, no, I, I, I find myself kind of fascinated, um, you know, by some of that psychological darkness. You know, I, I, Cornell Woolrich is is a writer that I love, um, very dark writer, and I think it's so interesting the way that he, his stories kind of spiral, at times spiral down, um, you know, toward um, toward some of those baser impulses, towards some of those worst fears or angers. Um and, and there's something that's, that's really fascinating to me about it. In the same way that many of my students are fascinated, say, when I'm teaching true crime, they're fascinated by serial killers. There's something that draws me toward the why and the what if and the um, and those kind of things. And so part of it is exploration um, more than it is expressiveness. You know, I feel like I'm a, a fairly easygoing person, fairly steady guy. Um, and it's not like in, you know, indulging some of my darker impulses as much as it is just, just curious about what is it that makes some of those folks tick. Yeah, but Hannibal Lecter is a very laid-back guy, too. <laughs> He's yeah, charming, and he is charming right. in so many ways. Yeah, um, I've got letters from him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it the meaning behind the terror that you're writing that's important, or is it the actual 
physical act of terror or mental act? Like, because you, you set up a scenario and someone's uh, feeling the suspense and terror, but isn't there sort of a meaning behind that that really brings out the fear better? Um, yeah, you know, it's uh, it, a lot of, I think, motivation in some cases. I've got a, a, a couple of stories. Um, in fact, I'll, I can talk about two stories from the collection uh, itself. Um, one's called Blue Plate Special, um, and it was, uh, you know, published originally in Barrel House magazine. And it's about a detective, it's kind of this hard-boiled detective. Um, that era, even if not that time frame or, or the feel of that era, and and he's called in to investigate something strange happening at a hotel. Um, and and as he as he goes and starts to investigate something kind of supernatural happens and he realizes that that the the people who are to be honest they're going into a bathroom and acting strangely and the the manager's like is something shady or sordid going on here because my clientele but he realizes what's happening is is the these people are finding something in the mirror in the bathroom that brings them back to some past that past can be something nostalgic but it can also be something unresolved, something lost, something that's not quite so warm. And the detective himself comes back to a mistake that he made about a sibling, about a brother, in his own childhood. And so he's haunted by that. I've got another story called All Tomorrow's Parties, um, which is named after a Lou Reed song, in fact, about a woman who is estranged from her husband uh, and from her daughter because of alcoholism and and some poor choices she's made. She's trying to build her life in a different direction, but literally at the party that she's at, she's finding the uh, a little girl, the image of a little girl following her around. At, at times it seems like it's her younger self. At times it seems like it might be her daughter. Um, no one else sees this, but there is that sense of being haunted again. And so some of the stories that I have are about trying to come to terms with guilt, um, regret, um, or some of those 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 worst impulses um, that that you might have, and so I, I, I think in terms of motivation, a lot of it comes to that. Not so much terror, though. I think there's terror in each of the cases, each of those stories that I talked about. Um, there is a sense of like of a kind of horror there, but it's not it is not the black cat or telltale heart horror. Um, it is it is something more psychological or grappling with. Uh, the past, grappling with the self. And I think that's, that's the thing that kind of drives some of my interests. You know, how do we come to terms with the things that we've done that are bad or that we regret? So did you have a bad childhood? No, a very happy childhood. Uh, in, in fact, <laughs> uh, it was uh, – I'm lying down now on the couch. And, uh, no, <laughs> okay, no, I'm not. Because <laughs> now we, we can get to exactly. the deep stuff. <laughs> no, a very happy childhood. I grew up in, in North Carolina, um, and uh, it was – you oh, know, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> Uh, rural North Carolina, it was, it was, uh, it was, you know, it was a good place. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. Obviously, you wrote some lovely stories. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I, so the biggest question is, and now I've got my pen out. I've got to learn this. See, because uh, how is it that I could write a character in a short story where I don't have the time to detail the character and all of the things they've been through yet? have the reader know who their who that character is like how is it that you can achieve that in a short story you know i talk i was actually talking to my students today about i'm teaching a class in creative nonfiction, but as i tell them some of the things that we do uh in nonfiction, creative nonfiction, the tools we use are the same as in fiction 
And we're talking about how you create yourself as a character on the page, same as the way you create a fictional character on the page. And I always mention the fact that you want a, a little detail to do a lot. Um, and today, one of the, the pieces that we were reading, there was talk about a, uh, a, a woman who didn't eat pork except secretly pepperoni pizza and frozen pepperoni pizza. And all of a sudden it's like, all right, just that one detail tells me a lot about this person. And, and I think that there's ways to make, you know, gestures that um, the specific detail, the gesture that, that will help to bring a character to life. You do that enough um, in, in, a, in a few little ways and all of a sudden that person is, is real on the page or, and here's the thing, or the reader is going to bring more to the creation of the character from the details that you've got um, than you have to, than, than anything you have to do in terms of spelling out too much. I've got a story, another story that's, that's only in, the, there's a hardcover collection uh, or hardcover uh, edition that Crippen and Landry puts out because it comes with a, a separate bonus story. And the, the bonus story in that is, is one called Sunday Morning, Saturday Night, also inspired by a Lou Reed song. Apparently, I like Lou Reed and Velvet Underground. But um, in that one, it's, it's super short, less than a 1,000 words. And all it does is detail one date, sort of, or one pickup that the, that the narrator makes on a Saturday night um, and, and then the Sunday morning aftermath from that. But he talks about his mom and remembering his mom and being younger and crawling into bed with his mom and his stepdad and even from what i'm sketching out there about a date and a mom and a stepdad and crawling into bed you know there are dynamics there that 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 you can probably imagine but go to some dark places uh so so yeah so you know a few details a few memories they can they can go a long way in the short story and i think writers um of of short stories have to understand that the reader that they have to have to rely on the reader to do a lot, or the reader is going to bring a lot there, and they have to trust themselves as writers, again, to go back to that that one detail that's going to do five or six things, or the one description that is going to open up something bigger for the reader, allow the reader to conjure up something more. It takes some practice, I think. Um, okay, so I can't become a star right away. No, well, no, no, <laughs> you can, you can. It's uh... <laughs> I, I appreciate uh, the, you know, I've written some short stories and I'm always just, um, you know, banging my head against the wall a little bit with them because, um, you know, I did write some short stories in my in the MFA program and I always was told like feedback, this should probably be a novel. And so um, that's what I decided I should write. But like it, it just the attention to detail, choosing the right details. Um, one of the things, I wanted to ask you, Art, about is um, you do a lot of str like structural innovation with your stories. Like it's not just the same kind of story over and over. Even like um, you do traditional mysteries with sort of a a more sort of uh, you know clear resolution, a returning of order, and then you, I think you have more psychological ones that have these sort of psychological problems that don't get fully solved. I'm, I'm just wondering, like even that seems like you have to be in different head spaces for. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your, you know, what, how you've innovated in, in terms of structure. You know, uh, John, you mentioned that, that first story in the collection. It's called Mrs. Marple and the Hit and Run. And um, 
yeah, I don't know if, I, if you have ever talked about this, John, but that, that story originally was a linear story. It is about a woman, the Mrs. Marple of the, the title, um, who is involved in a uh, hit and run. Her, her car is hit, and the, and the, the, um, it's, it's actually a young girl, but she thinks it's a young boy who drives away from it. And so she files a report and they do find the person. And, and then it's her sort of dealing with the aftermath of that and reevaluating what she thought she saw and didn't see. It was originally a 10,000 word story. And I remember reading it aloud, um, cause I was, I was writing it in, in part to, to read part of it at a public reading and I remember doing a practice run with my girlfriend at the time and my brother. And I could just look at them and tell how bored they were by what I was writing. So I ended up taking it, and and as you know, John, I, I reworked it where there's a series of three, I think it's three, long scenes, and then a series of little outlining sections, like four things she remembered, three things she imagined, one thing she overheard, what she wore. Um, and those bits and pieces were taking what was the real energy, I think, of the 10,000-word version and and putting those in a different order where the final story is about 2,000 words. I think it's a little over 2,000. And then letting the reader begin to fill in some of the blanks between those things. So I do like this idea of, of playing with structure, of, uh, as I said, giving the reader the opportunity to take the disparate bits and pieces and begin to, to re-linearize the story, if we're going to think about it that way, um, and to let the story emerge bit by bit. So I, I, I really do enjoy those, those, those kind of experiments uh, with form, and I hope the readers do as well. The other thing you're talking about is about the kind of endings. You know, um, this is, going, you know, Chekhov always said, take the, the first three pages of your manuscript and throw them away and take the last page of your manuscript for your short story and throw it away. So start a little later than you think because you get rid of all that, like, I don't want to say exposition, but all the throat clearing, all the trying to figure it out for yourself. You know, start a little later. Get into the meat of the story. But then at the end, don't spell everything out. Don't explain everything. And I think it's a more powerful story. I know from a reader's perspective, the stories that stay with me more are the ones that I've got to do a little bit of grappling with it at the end of it. What happens beyond the last line, what's the aftermath, what's the fallout, what's the, what, about, what is not told to me that I've got to think about, rather than having too much spelled out, too much tied up in a nice bow. That's what I appreciate as a reader, and that's one of the things I try to do as a writer. And I think you can do that more with a short story than you can with a novel as well. Um, short story is, is something that, that you can lay it out there, stop a little short, and let the reader... Let the reader try to, to figure it out. Yeah, I think that that's very true. I think there's also sort of pressure on the novel a little bit to um, pull a lot of threads together. Um, I think the danger there is you pull them all together. Right. <laughs> uh, you, know, you don't leave some resonance for the reader to uh, an echo after echo a little bit for them to walk away with. Um, because after all, we do want readers to continue to think about what we write. Not, sure. Um, I mean, by the way, I'm speaking for, I'm speaking for a lot of people, but uh, I, I would certainly like that opposed to, you know, forgetting it. But um, 
It's an interesting thing. It is. There is a sort of a need for a, a little lack of resolution or, or mystery still on the end. And that I felt that definitely, even in your different various innovations uh, and structure, you tend to leave some of that openness. Uh, maybe it's partly the short story form. Do you think that's true just generally for short stories? Or Well, no, I think, you know, I think uh, you want a story to be complete. Um, you don't want it, I'm not arguing for like, you know, open endings entirely. You want a story to feel complete. But um, but uh, I think a novel, I've used this example before, a novel is a process of addition in many ways. You know, I'm going to add subplots. I need to add different conflicts. Um, a short story, I think, is, you know, can be can be constructed by a process of subtraction. You know, here's a here's a long description. What don't I need here so that what I take away can still do the work that I want to get done? Um, what at the ending in terms of resolution do I need so that the reader has a sense of a completed statement? And that's to borrow a, a, a thing that Updike said, this idea of completed statement at the end of it, without over-explaining, without spelling out too much. You know, how do you, how do you subtract everything except what's necessary? Um, and so I, I, I think, I think that's, that's just part of the economy and the efficiency that's required by the short story as a form. What's your relationship with your characters being a short story writer as compared to, you know, full novel writers who um, quite often will describe their characters in terms of, of children or family and and they'll um, experience them through voices and visions. <laughs> uh, what's it like for a short writer, short story writer like yourself? You know, it's a little different. You know, I, I encourage my students in, in, in fiction workshops to do like a character inventory. We've seen these before. You know, the idea of like, let's know our character, even if not everything's going to end up on the page, let's kind of know our character. What makes them tick? What do they dream about last night? What do they want five years from now? And some of that's never going to find a way in the, into the short story. But it's kind of good to know so that you can make them as real on the page as you can. One thing's a little different. And, you know, you think about like a, someone who's writing a series, you know, they're investing a lot in building the world of that character. Um, I'm not have have before come back to a character one short story to the next but a lot of times it's going to be you know one and done and, and we're finishing them out i do have to create their world um you know as, as much as possible a sense of a gesture toward and i keep using that phrase you know what their father or mother might be like or ex-girlfriend here or or their job even if their job never actually shows up in terms of the scene so i do try to to build those that that sense of that gesture toward that awareness of the larger world, um, just so we got a, a, a sense of full character in the story. But it's very different when when we're spending you know a thousand words or even you know five or six thousand words with a character, and then and then we don't see them again. As a writer, uh, that's it's, it's a lot of investment to put in, and then and then move on and and, and not see them again. There are characters. So you're a fan of one-night stands. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, though I did have, you know, my first book was, was one where, uh, it's On the Road with Dell and Louise was the, the name of it, and it was one where I'd written a story uh, called Rearview Mirror with the characters Dell and Louise, and it was published in Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine. I thought, they're done, you know, and it was a complete story. They were finished. It was done. Except I kept coming back like, wonder what happened to them? happened to them well eventually it became a series of, of stories a novel and stories um, with a, a much fuller sense of a journey and a, and, a, and a character arc and I've had some characters over time that I that I find myself 
drawn toward, interested in, um, kind of kind of wish I could spend more time with them. So maybe I'll come back. Maybe I'll come back to some of them. Some of them die, though. That's the other thing. Some of my characters just die, and then we're done. I, I don't know what to do with them after that. They're yeah, they're finished. You can always find ways to resurrect, though. Yeah, it was a dream. No, that's the worst. You can't do that. <laughs> Baritsu. If we, you know, Sherlock Holmes. It was like I, my knowledge of Baritsu helped me out at Rackenbach Falls. And, uh, <laughs> and I'll come back. Yeah, what's that scene from Misery where she gives him hell about the the main character um, being in the grave at the end of the book and he had to find a way to write it back? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Always think about that, so how you solve the problem of bringing a character back to life. And now they even do prequels, so. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So what, what do you find the most difficult thing in writing short stories? Um, you know, endings are always a challenge to me. I, I feel like I put a lot of... Uh, you know, a, a lot of time into trying out different endings, thinking about different endings, you know, try to see what works right and to get just the right notes right, which I've already talked about a little bit, you know, how we keep subtracting, how you're going to get the right, the sense of completeness and not. That's that's where I, I, I struggle the most on things. And I've had stories that I've, I've written half of and then put away, in one case, put away for as long as several years because I just didn't know what to do with it and then came back and and wrote the ending of it when I felt like I knew what I was was doing. Um, but yes, it's, I think that's, that's where I spend a lot of my time is trying to get the ending just as pitch perfect as I can. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could imagine that. Um, how do you think each one of these stories you write changes yourself, changes you? Oh my gosh. Um, you know, I back laying down again. Yeah. 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 I am. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things is, I, I, and, and John talked about this, this idea of experimentation. A lot of times what draws me to the next story is trying to do something different or something better than I've, I've done before. Um, and, uh, and so, so a, a lot of it is, is kind of up in the ante some. That's not to say that every new story I write is automatically more ambitious than the last one. I don't think that's true. And I'm going to, I'm going to step back from this a second. My, my son, Dash, um, who is in fifth grade right now is, is, has came home yesterday with a chapbook that he started working on of poems. They're doing poetry. And um, and we were talking about how some of the poems are really they have, they have dense imagery that he's writing and they're, you know, very involved. And then the next one will be something that's a little um, that's a little shorter and more straightforward. And and uh, we were talking about the fact that all right, you know, here's one you're gonna dive into and here's one that's a little fun. I actually like that comparison because there are times when I'll write something that's a that's a little lighter and then we'll tackle something that is a, a, a little more challenging structural-wise or subject matter-wise or longer or has more characters. or And um, and so in terms of change as a writer, you know, I, I do feel like I, I hope I'm, I'm continuing to grow and continue to find new ways of, of telling stories. Um, the title story here, you know, has a fair number of characters in it. It's, it's uh, Venture of the Castle Leap is set on a study abroad um, in Ireland, it's actually inspired by a trip that I led for George Mason University with a group of students on a writing trip to Ireland. None of the students were inspirations for any of the students in the story, but the idea of the community and the way the community came together, um, and and then in my story, uh, there's the, the uh, suspicion that one of them may be stealing from the other students. And there's a question of how is this going to disrupt the group? But you had a large number of characters that I'm trying to to uh, navigate there and trying to make each of them distinct 
trying to make them uh, it clear, you know, some of their background, where they came from, uh, you know, their economic status, their ambitions as student writers. Um, the, 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 the brooding poet over here, for example, that may rely a little bit on a cliche, and yet I hope he comes through as a real character. My point, though, is that was part of the challenge with this. How do I, how do I make all these characters distinct and get them working in, uh, in relationship to one another over the course of a story. So that kind of challenge is something I, I do set myself out to do as opposed to a story that did have less characters in it. So it's, it's you know, open, open to grow as a writer, I hope. And what, what comes first generally? Is it the character, the story, or is it the setting? You know, uh, different, different things. Uh, definitely with The Castle Thief, um, it was the, the setting and that sense of the community of, of student writers that kept staying with me, uh, even these, these many years uh, since I actually led that book Mason and just thinking about what could go wrong here. But the, the castle was, the, the and, and my wife and I also went to Ireland on our honeymoon. We stayed in a castle there, so it's two castles that helped to inspire in this case. But different stories, different things. Um, I, I mentioned that story Sunday morning, Saturday night, um, and and it was actually inspired by um, a, a pair of shoes. To be honest, um, there was a I was at a reading in D.C. It was upstairs. And gosh, I forget the name of the of the bar it was at. But there was a woman there. She had on a pair of what she called uh, heeled Oxfords. And I asked her, I said, I, I, "Those are the coolest shoes I've seen. What kind of shoes are those?" And she told me. And it was those shoes that provided something about this the inspiration for this story. I don't want to give away too much about this. It's a dark story. It's so dark that I, that I moved it into, that I wanted to move it into the pamphlet as opposed to having, having it in the story itself. But, but, you know, different things inspire. A situation here, a setting there, um, or, a, uh, you know, in some cases a character that, that seems really interesting. Um, that a, stinky shoes. Yeah. You say stinky shoes? Yeah. No, they were sexy <laughs> shoes. We'll put it that way. Um, oh. So... Uh, but I had to, I, you know, therapy, I do not have a foot fetish or a shoe fetish of any kind. <laughs> Let's clarify that. But it was, it yeah. was something about the, about the, the, um, about the style of the shoes that, that, that sparked the imagination. And I tell my students, you know, I've had stories that are, you know, I have a, I have a dream and, and something about the dream sticks with me enough that I end up trying to explore that or travel, you know, as with the case of the castle thief, something about travel, getting outside of your own perspectives and seeing something different that can help to, you know, get the, get the, you know, creativity rolling a little bit. Um, I've also had stories that I, that have been written in response to other stories. Um, there's, uh, you know, uh, one that I wrote called The Odds Are Against Us that was very specifically in response to David Goodis's professional man. And I can, can trace a direct lineage between the one story and the next in terms of the, how it was, was sparked in that direction. So different things, different places. Have you ever written a story that's um, stayed with you? For all a long time, you never forget it. It's it's become very important to you. One that I've read, or one that I've written. One you've written. You know, there's a couple of stories that seem to be, uh, you know, sort of milestones. Um, you know, I keep talking about like creativity, and I keep talking about evolution. Um, but there, you know, there are some that 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 seem to seem to stand out in that way. There's one I wrote several years ago called "The Care and Feeding of House Plants." And I remember a, a little bit about the evolution of that. It's, it's, it's about a love triangle. You know, these two guys, uh, a, a man who is 
who, whose wife is having an affair with a coworker. And I had originally told the story from the two perspectives of the, the husband and the lover. And the lover is, is kind of, a, to be honest, a jerk. And he tells the, uh, he tells the woman, said, you know, why don't I have you and your husband over for a, a little cookout in the backyard? Because he just wants to really rub it in the husband's face that he's having an affair, you know, in, in, in some way. So I told the story originally from two different perspectives and it didn't work. And so I ended up adding in the woman's perspective as well. And so it goes back and forth in, in three different ways um, or three different directions. And it's not just that, that individual scenes are told from each of the three perspectives. Rather, you know, with the woman's perspective, it goes back to her college days and to her childhood and with the man's perspective, a lot of it is about, he's a, a botanist, he teaches botany, and, and a lot of it is about plants and his love of plants. And, and so there was something about, uh, about that story that when I reread it to prepare it for the collection that it's in, I was like, wow, that, that worked. That seemed to work. And I'd, and, um, and I'd had enough distance on it that I had, had not forgotten about it, but I'd for, I was experiencing it as a reader as opposed to a writer. So in, in a couple of ways there, that one stayed with me because of the process of writing it and what I learned in terms of that, that one level of experimentation with, with point of view. You know, people are always like, you, you, a story can't have multiple points of view. It's not long enough to do that. And here I was doing three, and so it seemed like an achievement. Um, but also, and this is from a reader's perspective, looking back at it, I recognized that it was doing a lot of things that, that, that are important to me in terms of looking at relationships, looking at the responsibilities that people have with relationships, looking at the idea of betrayal and what betrayal means and the weight of betrayal. And those are themes that I come come back to um, a lot in what I write. So that story, in many ways, is one that has stood out over time. Stood out over time is important both from a writer perspective uh, or from a writer perspective in a couple of different ways. I'm repeating myself. I should stop. How does that make you feel? Yeah. No. <laughs> um. <laughs> I have a question. Um it's kind of a reverse question. I mean, it's something that I'm always thinking about because I, I feel like I struggle with story-sized ideas. Like, I have, I'm not at a loss for ideas, but, um, and I'm going to have to write a story this spring, and I'm thinking about, oh boy, you know. So, do you ever have problem? I mean, you clearly have a lot of story-sized ideas. Do you ever have an idea that feels, you know, too big for a story? Like, you don't think this can fit in a short story? Or do you just kind of work it and make it fit? Or, or what do you do? I mentioned that story earlier, the Ms. Marple and the Hit and Run, that was like 10,000 words, and I cut it down. Um, I do find that I tend to write long um, at, at times. And then there's a question of, like, the, the castle thief, the adventure of the castle thief, um, at one point was, uh, you know, almost 19,000 words. I do not think that it could have become a full novel. I just don't. But I felt like it was unwieldy a little bit where it was, and so there was a process of cutting it down. The same is true of the title story with the boy detective in the summer of 74. Um, that story at, at various points was was part of a novel, then was a long novella, then was a shorter novella. Um, and and so, you know, I, I do find myself thinking about the, 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 the length of a story and what it could be. I'm grappling now with a, a couple of, of, of different novel ideas. Um, one is about a boarding school. John, you and I have talked about this, of, of course. 
And that will not that that will not work as a short story. And I keep coming back to it again and again, trying to think about the best form for it as a novel. And um, and it's one of I am eventually going to write, um, but I've, I've 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 not been able to get the, the the pacing for it right. But I do not think it would ever work as a short story. There's too much going on with it, um, and uh, and I just got to figure out the 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 proper structure to to get it all told. Yeah, it just feels like sometimes it's ideas, um, they do, and not to say they are fully, come to you fully fleshed out or anything, but some just, I think would, to me, have to feel a little bit the right size, you know, to... Yeah, I think that's true. Um, you know, it's, it's like, and, and a lot of times I think about, you know, what is, what is a, uh, always, you know, good solid narrative arc, what is going to be just enough that we can cover it all in a short amount of, uh, of space. Um, and, and it is tough, you know. Uh, we, you know, we some stories aren't lending themselves to that. Um, at least not with my skill level. You know, think about Alice Munro's stories. You know, every one of her short stories is like a novel, just super distilled down into <laughs> into whatever she wrote. Uh, that's that's a that's a magic trick I don't know how to do entirely. The breadth of the of the the characters' lives and the themes and and all like that is like. Uh, I don't know how she does it. He's Canadian, Al. <laughs> we love our Canadians. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, so listen, uh, how do people find you? Do you have social media set up for readers and fans and website and all that? Where is it they find art? Sure. Um, my website is www.arttailorwriter.com. And um, <laughs> there actually is an art tailor, uh, dot com out there. And I, I actually wrote to him and asked him, I said, you're not really using this website. You know, can can I use it? And he's like, it would cost a lot. He goes, I'm a writer too, but he writes like code. He writes uh, he writes stuff about computers. ArttaylorWriter.com is where that comes for. And you can actually, if you if you're going right now, you can read uh, one of my stories for free on there. It's the Invisible Band. Um, it was in the collection Edgar and Seamus Go Golden, a collection of mystery stories either in the style of the Golden Age detective story or inspired by the Golden Age detective story. My story, The Invisible Band, um, is, has just been recently nominated for an Agatha Award for Best Short Story. Um, it's set in a, in a cosplay uh, uh, hotel weekend. Apparently, I write a lot about hotels. A cosplay weekend where people are pretending to be iconic detectives and trying to solve a murder mystery, and suddenly they happen upon what seems to be another crime, and they actually have to see if they can use their skills to solve it. Um, so that, that story is available for free on my website, arttaylorwriter.com. I'm also on Twitter. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. Well, perfect. We'll have all that up, of course, and, and so people can find you with one click. We've learned a lot here. We learned that Art Taylor likes hotels and one-night stays. <laughs> yes. Often together in the same package. And, and shoes. And shoes. We didn't get into that too much, but he likes sexy shoes. Yeah, yeah. Well, the book, The Adventure of the Castle Thief and Other Expeditions and Indiscretions. The author's our guest, Art Taylor. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Art. Thank you. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.